Hello, listeners. Welcome to the circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Greetings, Internet. I am Jay Goldberg. We are the hive mind <laughs> in uh, in semi. So today's today's topic, one that we've talked about a little bit before, but an actually really exciting uh, growth segment of the of the industry is automotive. So the semi opportunity for automotive. Now you know it, it's interesting when you look at the size of of market categories. Um, the the automotive industry is is massive. I mean, it's larger than the smartphone industry in terms of total dollars. It's larger than the PC industry. So, in terms of opportunity for for uh, semiconductors, it is one of the more attractive opportunities. But it's also not a market today where, despite our desires for cars to become computers, it's nowhere close to that. Um, it's uh, it's still fairly fairly rudimentary in terms of, of these machines, which I think we all can understand. But anyone who's been in a Tesla and arguably some other form of an EV, although I think Tesla is my, my favorite benchmark example of something that feels kind of like a completely different car experience, even though it's, it's still a car, knows that we are inevitably moving in this direction of uh, of creating computers on wheels and all the implications of what that means from semiconductors to uh, to uh, software, etc. So I'll, I'll slob it out because I know you have a very good thesis on uh, semis and automotive. So I'll let you I'll let you jump off with your thesis on uh, on autos and semis. Hi, it's Jay. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I, I have a thesis on semis on auto auto semis because it is uh, it has very much become the the darling of the semiconductor industry. Uh, I think this, the semi-industry in general has sort of been trained on decades of every few years is a sort of hot category, right? It was PCs, and then it was feature phones, and then smartphones, right? And and we're, a lot of us are sort of on the lookout for the next big platform, the next big category, right? And that's a, a big part of the reason everyone got excited by XR, AR, VR that didn't materialize. Uh, and so a lot of the marketing and thought and strategy is sort of shifted to automotive because it, it's a big category, like you said, and it really feels like it's going to grow significantly. I, I think it's important though, when you talk about automotive semis to understand that it's really, it's really three different markets we're talking about. Sort of the market that was the market that is and the market that will be the, the market that was, and is still around and important is analog semis, right? The, you know, the, the total market for, Automotive semis today is about sixty-ish billion dollars. Ninety, probably ninety-five percent of that is analog semis. Most, a lot of that is sort of low, low-cost parts, microcontrollers, you know, power management, little sensors, little actuators, right? And and those come from TI, ST Micro, uh, on ADI, right? Which are really good companies, but are also just kind of boring by design. Like they're, they're sort of meant to be sort of boring industrial companies uh, and they don't get a lot of focus, but they, they control this massive important market. The, the, the next market that everyone wants to talk about is autonomy, but I, I feel like that's the, the far future. It's the market that will be right? before we get to autonomy. There is the important markets emerging today for sort of a, a, an automotive processing unit everyone calls it something different that's going to power things like 
assisted driving or ADAS, the digital cockpit or dashboard or digital dashboard, the infotainment system, right? That that's a that's a big change. And a lot of the experience of a Tesla that makes it kind of cool, different, is around sort of digital things in the car software. Um, and that's powered by a, a, a semiconductor that looks an awful lot like a mobile applications processor. And so it's no surprise that that's really the market that Qualcomm is going after very strongly. Like they have the right product at the perfect time. Uh, you know, Mobileye was first. They seem to be doing okay, but they're losing a lot of share to internally designed solutions. That's another important part of this. Um, and, and Qualcomm, I mean, all these companies are making a really big push in, in that direction. And that and that's, to me, the, you know, the next five years, that's going to be the exciting real growth story because that's a lot of content. Those are, you know, those are pretty pricey chips. Those are $20, $40 chips. And then eventually we'll get to autonomy and what that looks like, what you can talk about, but like autonomy is still pretty far away. Yes. So w- within that, I mean, there's a couple of things. We, we talked about this a, a little bit before, right? Roughly the estimate is that semi-content in cars. So if it's today, call it between five, $600 per car, which as you rightly point out is largely analog, which, which people, the American public perhaps worldwide was rudely awakened to when simple microcontrollers were the holdup for the entire automotive industry via supply chain constraints last year. Um, people were like, what do you mean? I can't get a simple thing that just helps me, you know, turn the car on and off or make the windows go up and down, <laughs> etc." cetera. Um, but yeah, if, if it's doubling, which I think the estimate is over, you know, 26, 27, 2000 to 2027, you're looking at 1500, 1600 bucks per, uh, uh, of semi-content per car. But that's, that's again, that's just the beginning, right? That is the next few years of may- maybe not even full ADAS, right? Just still helping lane correction, still maybe doing some level of slow, uh, speed up, slow down autonomously based on the car in front of you on the freeway, right? We're just, we're still fleshing those, those features out. So we're not even talking all these other categories where simultaneously um, there are, I think experiments, right, in robo taxis. You've got Las Vegas. You've got a couple other cities offering an Uber or a Lyft that's that's fully autonomous, and um, you know, in in an area where the city is easy easily mapped. I think you'll see some of these robo taxis, but we're like very early stages of that. But those small fleet vehicles will will again require a, a lot more uh, semiconductor content brain. Um, you know, sort of the 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 software stack or, or, or full stack, if you will. Um, but that's that's a market where I do look and, and I wonder what lessons do we learn? Uh, how do fleets, you know, the, what what is the semiconductor strategy in terms of brain? And again, that's autonomy, but I think it's largely it's when it's that small, it's not quite full autonomy. It's like it's autonomy in a small area, um, but it's kind of, in my opinion, right? signaling of the future. We'll learn some lessons through those small robo-taxi implementations. Yeah, and I think this sort of highlights one of the key um, frustrations or just hard-cold realities of the automotive semi-market is that it moves at a very, very different time scale than yeah. all other consumer electronics, especially semis, right? And and, and so you, you mentioned that idea of, of semiconductor content doubling in cars, right? And I, I agree that will happen. But if you go talk to sort of 
any any company today that does automotive semis, they're going to have a slide in their investor deck that has, you know, that has this sort of same layout. Like today, $600, tomorrow, you know, double that. Yeah. The future, some huge number, right? Semi content per car is forecast to grow and everybody has a slide about it. The problem is, I actually, when I was doing investor relations almost 10 years ago, I made the exact same slide. Right? And it was pretty much the same numbers saying, oh, today con- semi-content in cars is $500 and it's going to double and then grow to infinity. It's taking a long time and it's going to take a long time. right? And the, the, I think the, the reality is that auto, semi, auto product cycles it, it, you know, it can be a design, you know, traditionally design takes sort of five years to go from yeah. first sketch to production. Yeah. And you think about the average semi product that that sort of, that's the entire life of the semi is five years. Exactly. And, yeah. And I know, I know there are companies who have complained to me in the past. Uh, he said, Oh, I don't want to be in an in auto because like we, we, we won this big contract. And by the time it actually got into production, we were end of lifing that product for everybody else, <laughs> right? Which is like the worst scenario for for semi yeah. manage all yeah. the cost. Yeah, but, and and I think auto companies have sort of realized that they've accelerated this a little bit, um, but there is still this is going to take a long time, right? For, Very. for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, um, and and that's just and, and like you said, it's like before we get to not autonomy, but just like real ADAS, we're going to go through a lot of like incremental, yeah. you know, training steps. Yeah. The thing, the thing that intrigues me about this market, um, you know, is from conversations I've had with call it the, I don't even know what the teams are called, but the people within some of these auto organizations that are kind of responsible for future technology, you know, it's the, the engineers, the, it seems like a lot of these, these brands recognize that in this future, we're talking about, um, technology itself and the, I guess the experience that, that, that their customers will have from a a technology centric angle becomes one of their largest differentiators to go and compete with it, with other brands. So, you know, essentially it's like you look today, right? The cockpit of my, uh, of my F-150 is different than that of Chevy's or Ram's and, but it all, but like G, you know, Ford and GM have even, even Ram have a very kind of specific look to their buttons. Right. And it feels similar, right. As you go. So essentially it's a standardized, whatever you want to call it, physical UI of buttons and whatnot. Right. But, but ultimately the, if that, that's not that there was their only basis of competition, but that was a part of it, right. How things feel, now the technology plays a really important and interesting angle in how they then differentiate themselves from others. And that's not something they've had to do before, but I think they recognize and Tesla has opened their eyes to this. Like there's gotta be a tech feel or a tech experience. And that's really where so much of this competitive elements will come from. Well, I I think it's, it's even, it's even broader than that. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. If you look at consumer preference surveys of, I think this is Americans and what features uh, American car buyers use to make their purchase choices. Seven, eight years ago, for the first time, electronics, electronic Mm. user experience became a a top three item. And crucially for like the youngest demographic, AKA the buyers for the next 30 years, that's the, that, that item is now the top, top, 
item in their purchase mm-hmm. decision above fuel efficiency, above speed and torque and horsepower, all that stuff that used to matter a lot. Electronics and software are now top of mind for the critical buyers. And yep. I think you're right that the sort of strategy people, the product design people at the automakers are aware of this. I don't think though that it has percolated through the entire organization. And yeah. I think like I, I'm, I'm a little bit more mixed on my feelings about Tesla, but I will a hundred percent agree that the, the user experience of driving a Tesla is unlike any other car. Yep. And they've, they've done a really good job of differentiating on that. And I think that just as simple things as over the air software updates, yep. changing all of that constantly, improving that for the most part, constantly, yep. that is like not just new to the automakers, it's sort of anathema to how they've always built cars. Yeah. Because I think the biggest thing that a car maker wants to avoid is a recall. Absolutely. So you want to have everything tied and fit, tested and fixed in place before it goes into production. Because the right. worst thing you have is a, is a recall and have to bring all those cars back. That ruins all your profitability. Yeah. Yep. And Tesla has turned that on its head and said, no, 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 we're going to constantly change things. We'll see if they can deal with the, the financial fallout from re- recalls. But like, it, it's clear that their their whole approach to software is completely like, unlike anything the auto industry, I think, has ever ever seen. And yeah. so, I, so that begs the question is, Yes, this is important. How will automakers can they actually make that turn big, big shift to thinking about these things and being able to contend with them? Yeah, well, and and kind of what w- what you said is, and, and and I come back to a point we made. Right, this is a this is an extremely long time horizon. Like I, I would never want to project when we'll be wherever, but it's extremely unlikely that by 2030, we have a healthy percentage of fully autonomous cars on the road, just as a basis of of that. So even if you push this, that this is a journey that shakes itself out in more uh, real world applications between 2030 and 2040, that's again, we're talking about a long, a long time horizon. But I am, I am a little bit worried about the incumbent's ability to what I would say, embrace this idea of thinking like a tech company, which partially will include, I think, just some some uh, efficiencies in manufacturing that they'll they'll have to go through. And I do believe that 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 companies that that make these products can can do so well. But because of what we're talking about, that you you really have to approach this with a very different way. That is technology centric first, right? Just this whole concept of a software defined vehicle lends itself to call it perhaps more tech centric companies, which is what, which is what Tesla is. And this is, this is why people get excited about if Apple does something here, they would just say, well, look, Apple's product philosophy fits where this market is. And even if they got 1%, that's, you know, it's the size of the iPhone business kind of a, kind of a thing. So there's, there's, can incumbents come in and I'd love your perspective on China here, because you do see some really quick time to market to some degree, contract manufacturing in China and brands that we've never heard of ability to to quickly spin up and compete. And I wonder perhaps if there's a future here or maybe US consumers are just too too brand centric. And so it's going to be specific brands. But I, my, my main point is, I'm a little worried that the incumbents can kind of do the things, think like a Tesla, think like an Apple. You know, one of the things I thought about is what happens if Rivian doesn't do well and Amazon just buys them? 
Now Amazon's a car company, right? I mean, that's the kind of things where now now they're in the market, right? With an interesting con- consumer brand, but they're a tech company. So basis of competition, right? Sort of changing. Yeah, I you know I, I have to be careful because I'm I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination on auto, auto U.S. automakers, and and I tend to come at them from a very skeptical perspective because right? mostly as a consumer, I'm just like I just don't like a lot of the things, a lot of choices, design choices they've made. Yeah, uh, and certainly their their history of being able to cope with strong competitive forces is doesn't give me great hope for their right. ability to make this shift. Um, now, that being said, there's a lot of forces in play. Uh, you're, you're right. I think China and China's approach to car making EVs in particular is, is very intriguing. Uh, I wrote a whole series last year looking at can the auto supply chain be electronicized? Can, can we move like the, can we adopt the ODM, OEM, Shenzhen model to cars? Right. right. And it, it's, it's not as, it, it is, it's not an obvious thing that's going to happen. Um, certainly China looks like it's moving down that path. There are certain parts of the supply chain that really can't be uh, done by third parties because, but that's largely because of sort of regulatory and legal issues, not structural. So it's in theory, it's possible for other countries to do this in a way that the U.S. can't. They have different regulatory regimes. And so the recall penalty, the, the right, safety right. standards are just different enough that in China, maybe they can get away with things uh, that, that we can't do here. At the same time, I, I look at China's auto market where they have 50 companies making cars. It looks to me exactly like the way that they did uh, mobile phones. Right? Mm-hmm. where they had a thousand mobile phone companies all competing it out to eventually hone down like, you know, five really tested champions. They're doing the same thing in semiconductors, right? You just see the industry, let the free market decide who the really capable commercial ones are. And then those become the sort of national champions. And I think uh, if a few, if we, if this had been a sort of a situation five years ago, we'd seen this, I would be very worried that Chinese companies are going to start selling cars in the U S and that would be really, really, difficult time for the U.S. automakers. I think with geopolitics the way they are, I don't think any Chinese automaker is even looking at the U.S., yeah. uh, and probably rightly so. Yeah. At the same, at, 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 but also going on, though, if you look at Europe, in Europe, I think, I think 40 or 50%, maybe even more, of EVs sold in Europe today are coming from China. Right? So yeah. we are going to see this impact on a, on a big global scale. Uh, and I think... I. And so it's going to, it's, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there. There's just the OEM versus OEM competition. That's important. I'm really fascinated to see about the, the actual manufacturer model. If we can shift to having Foxcons and yeah. Pegatrons for cars. So um, the, the part of this though, that intrigues me is, um, consumers are generally very brand centric, which is why, as you point out, China you know, honed itself down to a couple of OEMs in the smartphone market that uh, captured the brand and was able to 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 be viewed as somewhat brand centric. I just think in general, consumers are brand centric. The auto question is one that's that's interesting, and this this point's not unique to me. Uh, our our friend Horace Daydu kind of came up with this with some of the original micro mobility stuff he was talking about, looking at the idea of 
contract manufacturing, regardless of where it was, for the purpose that a known, an already known brand or entity who was not in automotive could then get into automotive. And obviously there was elements of of his thinking that was to Apple, which was if somebody could just make it easy for Apple to make cars and they don't have to build a factory, they can do kind of, again, kind of like the Foxconn for, for automotive for Apple. It makes it easy for them to get in the brand, right? Or name another one, Samsung, name another one, right? Like I said, with 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 Amazon or in this case right through the Rivian could could new brands that challenge the incumbents come up who already have and that's what I thought because again it comes back to it it's either going to be the incumbents that figure this out or Tesla eats their lunch or it's new brands again Lucid Polestar um, you know Rivian but how but how like that's not that that's easy right it's a high fixed cost business to make cars in those models if somebody could bring those down could more brands enter and then all of a sudden Again, you've got name brands, but you've got people making cars who didn't make cars before. I, I, I agree. I mean, we're going to talk about brands. Is this the point where I just stare at you coldly and say, oh, you drive a Ford? <laughs> I'm judging you. Yes. Right. To, to you and me, brand brand has a lot of meaning. But I think the whole definition of brand could very easily shift. If, if what you associate with a car is the software experience, the user experience, mm then to some degree that sort of opens all of this up and in in, in an important way, I I will say if, if to the extent that China is any indicator of what's coming, it actually looks like the incumbents are going to win there. It's too soon to tell, but a lot Mm. of these Neo sort of upstart brands like, well, like Neo and Xpeng aren't, aren't doing very well. Like they they're up against those very high up, upfront fixed costs. Uh, and the more established companies, the BYDs and the uh, Shanghai Automotive, they all have uh, subsidiary EV brands that are really dominating the market, uh, at least right. in, in share. They're, they're very, very cheap cars. So that's why they kind of win in the share numbers. But right. I, I think I think it will be a challenge. Um, I, I think that's why people got very nervous about Tesla is because they, they you know, their first automotive brands are really make a big yeah. impact in the U S in, you know, since the, since the Japanese companies in the eighties. Right. That was a big shift. Apple, Apple can do it. Yep. Not, not clear to me that Rivian or lucid, you know, I, I love Rivian. I'd love to buy a Rivian. Those are fantastic cars, but I'm, I'm not going to do it until I know that they're going to be in business for you know, the life of yeah. the car at least. Uh, agree. And and I th- and and that's where, you know, part of this could just be too, right? Maybe your Toyotas, your Hyundais, your Kias, maybe they move faster or or in a more effective way than, you know, your Fords, your G- your GMs, um, you know, etc. But 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 let, let's get to this this sort of central point right back to semis, which is, you know, we 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 agree that technology becomes a specific differentiator. Each company is going to have to make call it a platform decision, right? So, so what, what are we, what does the brain look like? They probably don't develop that brain. Maybe they co-develop that brain with somebody, obviously Tesla's developing, trying to develop that brain. And that may pan out to be a good or it might pan out to be a very bad decision. Um, but let's, let's talk about stack wise, right? Is it, I think one of my thesis is that, that auto companies will kind of have to go as much full stack as they can, because again, they need to, to differentiate. They just can't buy standard things and everything can't look the same. It's got to, it's got to feel, you know, really different or competitive in their own way. And so 
what's the stack look like, right? For, for automotive um, in terms of, I guess, where they really need to, to make some bets. Maybe it's not brain. You could say it's brain, or we've talked about accelerators, obviously software, I think is one they're going to need to own that, that part of the stack. Um, So yeah, full stack, partial stack. What do you think? So I don't think we know. I certainly don't, but I don't think the market knows yet exactly what that's going to look like. Um, Right. Uh, Qualcomm going back to them, who, who has, it looks very well positioned for this, bought uh, Vianeer sort of, they, they pulled the software assets out of a uh, European right. uh, parts maker. I mean, that, they, they paid like a billion dollars for that. They paid a they paid a lot for it, and right. it was. I mean, it was it was noteworthy because it was it was a big deal, and it was like the first M and A deal they'd done in you know of any size in what five, six, seven years. I think that was. I think they realized that that software stack was critical to them. That they needed that that software, and it's not really so much the user-facing side of that software as just sort of the basic right. know, lane change assist, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Um, but they, were, they realized that they needed that, right? And, and they, believe me, they made that deal before they started telling everybody about their automotive opportunity. I think it was really important for them to have Veneer, uh, Arriver, whatever it's called, to, it, it, right, they needed right. that for the product. I mean, they've done a lot of code development work and they realized that they needed to own it. And um, I, I don't know how everyone else is going to shake up. Mobileye has its own stack. You know, I think they've, they've, you know, a lot of, in a lot of cases, they'll describe themselves as a software company or a services company, which is a whole other issue, but they recognize the importance of software. There are a lot of startups out there sort of dipping their toe in it. It's a very mm-hmm. hard market for a startup to go after because you mm-hmm. only have yeah. a dozen cus- possible customers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I, I, I think actually this is this is one of the things that concerns me a little bit about the automakers, right? And and yes, I have some knee jerk skepticism that oh, you know, I'm going to scoff and say oh, they can't do software, but you know, let, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and assume that they can build a software capability. But I think that they, a, a lot of my interactions with the automakers has been to express a high degree of concern with being, uh, you know, overrun by the platform owner. Like they're very aware of what Microsoft did mm-hmm. to PCs, right? Mm-hmm. With sucking up all the value from the Dells and the HPs of the world, right? Yep. And the, I think the automakers are are very very uh, cautious when dealing with Apple, right? I think all, a lot of the U.S. automakers, particularly, know that they need to have Apple CarKit compatibility. Yep. That's a big right. consumer demand feature. But they're very like they're 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 trying their best to not let that get too far. Because they really yeah. don't want to be in the position where the consumer is, you know, buying the car based on its Apple-ness, not its Ford-ness. Yep. 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 And so that's that's their big risk. However, I worry that that comes at the cost of it's kind of like like Symbian, right? Where Nokia was so worried about Ericsson or Siemens being able to, you know, gain a, a two points of share because they had some, some Symbian phones that they they throttled Symbian in its in its crib, and that ended up costing them in the long run because when iPhone came along, they didn't have a viable alternative operating system. And I worry that that dynamic takes place here too. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, in, in fairness, the, the OEMs are right to be worried about that. Right? Yes. Every time I, I boot up Apple CarKit on my, my, my car, I think of, um, I think of the, the Motorola Rocker phone, R-O-K-R. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, Like that I was a, a, f- a phone built by Motorola that was basically an iPod. 
and it ran it all this Apple idea. software. And it was very, very clearly, in hindsight, we all know now that that was just Apple just t- testing the waters, trying to figure out what they needed to know about building mobile phones before they went and built their own. Yeah, and, and and you know, so I, I think the automakers have to be very careful not to to, to bring that Trojan horse into their house. Um, yeah, what they're going to use to replace it, uh, they have to build a real software capability. They have to realize that their different their strategic differentiation is around yep. that user inter- inter- experience, and they need to have an engineering team the size of their you know transmission and engine engine teams working on software. Yep. Well, and your, your, your sentiment is exactly the same as mine. And, you know, from conversations I've had, it, it it's exactly in line with that, that they know, like, they just don't want to give up the software experience to somebody else. But at the same time, it's, it's not their skill set, you know, and I think about this too, and I know this doesn't apply to every SKU and I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a high end, a high end car car point but there are companies that try to bring those high-end experiences to the mainstream but you listen to them talk about like the texture of the leather that they use on the side consoles right or on the steering wheel and and how the stitching has to look a certain way and they and they have all this really interesting design points when it comes to the physical parts right and the reality is those same product philosophies and nuances and design are going to have to come to the software interface, but that's not something that they can do. That's not something that they know how to do, but they, if, if they can do that, and I'm not saying Tesla does the best job of this either. I mean, I don't love the, the feeling of the interior of their car from a premium standpoint, the tech's great, but it definitely doesn't feel like a, like a Porsche or, or, or something right in the, in that, in that vein. But, but if those car companies can take, can, can meld those two. And again, I don't know if that's Qualcomm helps them right with a, semi-custom bit or or they buy designers i don't know but to me that's so fundamental for them to be able to compete and i just worry right that they can't do that and then thus what does that mean then then a a tech company call it apple or whoever right can meld those worlds and then sorts to absorb some of this upside opportunity not just right at the market level but at the ecosystem level as well yeah and and i i think we're right to be worried i mean I just think of every time I get in a rental car, I try to figure out Ugh. who makes, who makes this like it's so bad moving to the low end. I, I cannot tell the difference between a Ford and a GM in that context. I, I'm not trying to do it in a higher end model either. I probably couldn't do it with any too many cars, but like, it's, I just told you it's the buttons. It's how the buttons look. Yeah. It's, it's, but it, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, I, 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 and I'm convinced there's not consistency that's within the brands, true. right? Like That's every Ford, true. every Ford should have the same sort of setup, one much fancier than the other, depending on the price. But yep. that's not true. Like every exactly every model right. is a little different. And and that again, that reminds me of mobile phone days. You know, in in two thousand and six, two thousand seven, Motorola had forty different versions of operating systems for its phones. Right, it had forty different Linux variants running on its mobile phones. Right, which is not how you build software. Right, it's not how you sort of organize your brand around software. You want to have one common user experience. And if they can't even get that for the physical things, which they're what's called good at, now they have to translate that into the digital. It's going to take some expertise. It's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, uh, uh, agreed. So, so where where are you on? Um, let's sort of go back to this this just robo taxi type of a type of a thing. Um, you know, because it's it's again it's it's a market. It's certainly a market that you could argue said incumbent that we're talking about provides the base level whatever Ford Focus or something right the the basic automotive shell to Uber to whoever Lyft that's going to create get robo taxis, um, but that that market seems like over the next five to six years we'll see we'll see robo taxis show up right and obviously those will. They're not going to feel like your normal cars. You're going to get thrown a bunch of ads on display glass on the side or whatever, right? They're going to monetize your five minutes in that car as you go from airport somewhere. But what's what's your take sort of on robo taxis as a um, again flesh out segment of this market for kind of this broader tech semi content conversation? I, I think at the moment, robo taxis feel to me like they're solving a, somebody else's problem. Right, I it's it's a it's a them problem, not a me problem. Like right. When I when I when I get in an Uber or a taxi, I don't, I don't mind that there's a driver there. Um, and until I have greater confidence in the autopilot software, yeah. I'm actually right. I probably prefer a human driver. Right. Right. And and so I think a lot of the robo taxi ideas came from this notion that Uber and Lyft, which were once you know fifty hundred billion dollar valuation companies. Their biggest cost, their biggest cost by far, is payments to drivers, and so they're going to find a solution to that, which is to automate, get rid of the driver, and reduce their costs. Um, that's that's not a that's not a problem I care about, right? Yeah, um, that's that's Uber and Lyft and a few others trying to solve their problem. I, I do think there is, uh, like, I, I don't know about the far future, where you know, like it's Minority Report, and we don't even have our own cars; we just sort of call the robo taxi. That's okay. That's great, but that's like. Very far away. In, in the near term, I, I think it's a very, very niche market. The number of places where you can need or want a robo taxi uh, is 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 pretty small. Like Las Vegas, New York, you know, dense cities where right. dense, yeah, that are, right, right. And and uh, you know, uh, that's that's not that much. That doesn't cover that much territory in America. Yeah, right. Because we're not talking about robo taxis all the way out to the far suburbs. Is it more interesting in Europe or China? Uh, may, maybe. Um, I do think it's an important sort of stepping stone. I think that's really yeah. what it comes down to. Is Robotex are a stepping stone to that's right. much yeah, broader that's I think too, autonomy. Yeah. yeah. No, I, that, that's exactly right. And I think it's, again, because it works because it's in the markets it is because it has to be a very small um, geography that can be meticulously mapped. Like that's, that's, that's why that, that can happen. But, but I agree with you, right? It's, it's, it's a hundred percent solving the problem that the cost per ride is high because of the human, they need their, their economics to come down. So, so robots, robots make sense. Um, but that is the conversation, like, cause it's interesting, right? You've got two, the two companies we constantly talk about, right? There's really Qualcomm and then NVIDIA. NVIDIA has bet like all of their technology on full autonomy, but that market's, five, eight, maybe 10 years away. So full autonomy works right in NVIDIA's favor for something like Robotox taxis, which is why Jensen talks about it because that's where their technology actually has a, has a role to play. Not so much in kind of ADAS and some of that 
that cockpit, digital cockpit stuff we're talking about with uh, with, with Qualcomm as much. So, but it is it is interesting to see you know those diverge um, in, into their different opportunities for different, in this case, Qualcomm and or and or Nvidia. So, so two two things on that is one is I think Nvidia has recently woken up to the to this fact, and that's why we, we've actually. I, I don't think they talked about GTC, but a few a few months ago they did announce right. some some suite for for this middle opportunity for ADAS and infotainment. So they're aware of that and they're trying to build up a product suite around that. And given all the stuff we talked about two weeks ago about their capabilities, I'm I'm willing to bet that they can make something credible. So, but it's going to be them and Qualcomm duking it out for the market, and Qualcomm has a yep. big lead. I think there's another issue, though, when we start talking about autonomy, and this goes back to the market size. Like, I live in San Francisco, and there are fully autonomous crews and Waymo vehicles driving around. If you look at the electronics inside, let alone all the radar and LIDAR and sensors on top, but just inside, that's basically a data center rack right there. I mean, it's yeah, you know, yeah. $10,000, $20,000 of semiconductor content in those cars. Yeah, Whatever the future of autonomy is going to be, it's not going to be $20,000 more than the base model because no one will buy it. Sure. Um, I'd love to have an autonomous vehicle. I hate driving. I hate commuting. I'd love to spend my time doing something else. Yeah. I'm not going to pay $20,000 for autonomy. Right. Right. So then the question is, in the future autonomous world that we're going to get to, hopefully, what what is the amount of semiconductor content we need there? And I think everybody has to radically scale back their expectations, right? It's, it's, it's not going to be, you know, four CPUs and six GPUs. It's oh, going to be, sure. you know, it's going to be one chip. And, and, yeah. and then like, so let alone just cost, there's power consumption too, right? These are all going to be electric vehicles. No one's going to give up a hundred miles in range for autonomy. So, Absolutely. Right. What is the actual semiconductor content of the autonomous car of the future? Uh, it's, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. It's thousand bucks, 2000 bucks, something like that. Yeah. So all of this has to scale down pretty radically. Well, and the and the challenge to that point is that it has to scale down, but it also has to be capable of significantly more compute than we have today. Yes. And so those two sort of problems again, which is why I'm like this is such a far far time horizon. Um you know, cuz just an example, right? I was I've taken the 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 opportunity that was awarded to me because this location is 10 miles from my house where farming land where I live, which is why I have an F-150 in case anybody knows. When I'm buying a bunch of hay, I can't stick that in my Prius and or other things, even though I did at one point in time. So John Deere's uh, Innovations Lab is down like 10 minutes from my house. And so I went over there and rode in kind of the first autonomous tractor that they had because they launched an autonomous, fully autonomous tractor last year at CES. And that thing had like the entire top assembly was cameras. Uh, it had two giant NVIDIA GPUs. And then to your point, when you sit in the cockpit, and I don't know why farmers would do this, like I'd just let the thing go. I don't, but there's this whole kind of rack of computers with a big display showing you objects kind of in real time, it was, which I think was part of the demo. But that's so like you just can't, that's a ton of compute just to drive a tractor in a square that's been mapped, right? And just not run over an animal or not accidentally hit a human and like unbelievable amount of compute. And and that's got to miniaturize. And that's going to be this really, really hard timeline that we're on to bring to your point 
not just affordably, but scale, get, get the amount of compute that we have in some of these giant chips today down into really much smaller, more, more affordable chips, which again, long, long, long time frame. Um, just to be clear, I'm not judging you for not driving a Prius. I'm just judging you for driving a Ford. I also have a Prius. Agreed. Agreed. That's fine, we also have yes. a Prius, but yes. The, uh, the, the best story I always tell is when I showed up, the, when we first moved down here and had to buy some hay and put in my Prius. And the guy I bought it from was like, I can tell you this is the first time I've ever loaded hay into the back of a Prius. And, uh, and I did that for many, many years until I got my truck. Uh, all right. So the put you on the stop on the, on the put you on the spot question. Not that I'll do this every time, but if I think of one of those, I want to do it over under that Apple enters the automotive market. Oh, I think they're going to do it. Okay. I think they're going to do it. Right. I think it's just, there's too much going on, right? There's, they're clearly spending a lot of money on something. Yes. Right. Foxconn, for its part, is doing everything they can to make themselves look appealing as a partner to Apple, right? I mean, Mm. like Foxconn is is buying, building, acquiring every kind of conceivable part of the the supply chain for autos. It's going to be very hard for them to do it, but they're they're you know they're going to they're investing tens of billions of dollars into all this, Uh, and I, I really don't think they would have done that if they didn't think there was Apple coming, like, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll get some domestic business from China, but I, I don't think they would have done it without someone like Apple giving them, giving them some kind of indication. So yep. from what we can tell from the supply chain side of things, I think Apple will do it. I think it's still many years away. I think they, they thought they were originally going to do an autonomous car and they realized how, how hard yep. that was actually going to be. So they had to scale back. Yeah. Um, but yep. I think they can do it. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I I had gone back and forth with this for years, but but even if you just look at, like I said, the market size opportunity, they they need a tiny share of that market for it to be the iPhone size of the business, which which makes it interesting. Um, they you know they do chips as good as anybody, puts them well positioned. They make very specific design product decisions in terms of look and feel, puts them in a good position. And and interestingly, I don't know if you noticed this, but. In in the uh, in the 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 supply constraints for auto, for cars, a lot of people who bought cars over the last few years and 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 many um, car manufacturers and their uh, retailers are are moving to this model. People got really comfortable ordering cars online because what you wanted you couldn't get, and so you'd basically say, "This is what I want," and you're just my sales channel. And then you know I'm getting now this this custom off the or not custom, but when it's available, I'm getting it. So. If Apple doesn't need gigantic retail lots, right, because they can show them in some showcase stores and let you customize online, kind of like Tesla does, the market moves in that direction. It, it, it's even more in their favor. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense from them from a, from a strategic standpoint. So, so interesting, though, uh, Ben Evans and I actually had this, Benedict Evans and I had this debate last year, which was, what can Apple actually do to differentiate? Like what's going to make a car an Apple car as opposed to every other car in the market? And I think that that's the tricky one. It's like, what's really going to be different here? Because um, it's still going to have a steering wheel and pedals and, you know, is it just going to be all white and chrome on the inside? Right. What's, what's going to be different? Well, they make, they make colored, they make colored 
stuff now you know that the, the color the color will change every year based on what the palette is like next year's models will be fuchsia and salmon pink and whatever the hot color is to go with your iphone or maybe they become hardware as a business you just you you re- get your car every five years and you pay them like th- this has been our philosophy i know it's yours too it's same with horace's is that they they get more into this idea that you just pay them a lump sum and you just get all your hardware from them and so they're a hardware as a service model cars could fit right into that and you get a new one every five years and it's got a new color Agreed, but that that I, I i agree with that but then the question is what is it about the hardware that makes it so or the hardware software combination that makes it yeah. so attractive that you're going to pay some premium agree for it? agree well may- maybe the answer is there's consistency in the ui <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's in right. the button ui okay all right jay Good talking to you. Uh, Thanks for everybody for listening and for your comments and feedback. We appreciate it. And uh, until next time. Bye, everybody.